I'm Jeff Gibson. And I'm Shanna Paxton. And we are the, the Movie, Movie Lovers. Lovers. Welcome to the Hello. official podcast of The Gibson Review. Each episode we'll talk about our weekend review, move on to the main event, which is a main review or topic of discussion, and finish with Film Faves, our list of 12 favorite movies around a particular topic. In this episode... Our main event is a main review of... F-rated films. Band-Aid, which is an F-rated oh. film. And our yes. film faves topic will be our favorite... F-rated films. There we go. <laughs> now we got it. All right, so, but uh, first, before we dive on in, we have to address something uh, which is pretty important. We're really upset about it, really. It's of very severe consequence and very serious. All sorts of words were said. Oh, we were both quite upset. In our last episode, we counted down our 12 favorite movies of 2008. Now, we were looking forward to this year as it was a pretty strong year. Lots of movies to choose from. However, there was something that was missed, wasn't there? Yeah, and it was a really good one because it's not one that a lot of people know about. Right. So it would have been a great share. Yes, and it was one that we were looking forward to including on a Film Faves episode. Would have been. <laughs> but now it can! So, the film is Let the Right One In. It's a Swedish uh, film from 2008. It was for... Many cinephiles, the opposite of Twilight, in that it is a vampire film, and it does feature some sort of a relationship with two main characters, and that who are adolescents. Jana, do you want to speak briefly on your thoughts on Let the Right One In and why it would have been on your list? I feel like this was a film that had very strong characters, or the characters became strong at the end of it, if they weren't strong to begin with. And it was just such an interesting take on the vampire relationship dynamic. Yeah, see, it would have easily been in my top five for 2008. Gosh, I don't know. It might have been a top three Yeah. for me. It's very possible for me as well. I learned of this film through other movie podcasts, I think in particular, uh, slash filmcast, and uh, it's one of those things that you eventually catch up to when it's on video. Every single person I have shown this film to has loved it. Just been, not only is it a beautifully shot film. Yes, the cinematography is amazing. Yeah, but it's a kind of a complex and, and, understated film and the, you know when violence does happen on it, it it's is, so good well and, and sometimes <laughs> shocking too that's um, so good because the rest of the film is so like you know downplayed understated and quiet it's a quiet film actually mm -hmm. it's got a lot of surprises i think when i first went into it i went into it rather cold very little i didn't even know uh i think the slash film cast had omitted that it was a uh, there was a vampire character in it you know just to let it unfold on their listeners and it really did and i fell in love with it anyway so let the right one in one of our biggest regrets 
Definitely one of our favorites of 2008. We highly recommend that one. Absolutely. So, let's get on with the show, though. Starting with our... F-rated films! No, no, no. <laughs> we gotta talk about our Week in Review. We have had quite a bit of time, and there has been a lot that we have seen. Shannon, do you want to start us off? I actually had time to watch movies this week. For the first time in, like, forever. So it was really exciting, and I rented several movies uh, in preparation for this week. So one I'm going to talk about very briefly is called The Second Mother, and is actually an F-rated film. This is of a woman who is serving children, serving her essentially her nanny family, domestic family, and with very little... You're saying she's a nanny. Well, she's a domestic worker and a nanny. Okay. And there's just very little gratitude shown towards her. And when there is, it's very surface. And then it jumps forward, uh, I believe, like eight years. And the relationship with her nanny child is still very good. Because she. it looks like she came into his life at about maybe six, you know, maybe younger. Which usually results in a good relationship because it's such an impressionable time right and this child loves her and then her estranged daughter her blood comes and stays with her and is constantly like kind of i guess because her mother had to be away from her has this sort of jealousy or this angst that one would have if they never actually got to have their mother Mm. and it's very difficult because the daughter kind of disapproves of the whole situation but this mother just keeps loving. So it's a good film to watch. I highly recommend it. Mm. Um, something else that I got to watch this week, super exciting, was it's the 20th anniversary of Princess Diana of Wales, her death. Right. There's been a lot I've seen on social media about this. Yes. And so what I got to participate in was on HBO, there is Diana, our mother, her life and legacy. And then on Hulu, there's the story of Diana. And the story of Diana is a two-parter mm. episode. I, I think there might be more episodes coming. I'm not really sure. What I do know is what I watched. So let's talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> so Diana, our mother, was just so beautiful and so personal about her life. So often we get to see the facts or how someone's objective facts are about the life of Diana. But this was different because what they did was they took photographs of Diana and the boys got to talk about their feelings and their experiences with their mother. So oh, I heard about this. What was this So on? wonderful. This is on HBO. Okay. And okay. photographs are so powerful. You could sit down and you could look through them and all these memories will come back to you. And things that you knew about afterwards after living through them and and then go back to it it's just very interesting how you can sometimes tell oh that's why that facial expression was there Mm. and that was just really wonderful and because it was taking such a personal perspective of Diana's life we not only got to hear about how the paparazzi did their thing it was very briefly mentioned but they got to talk about 
the boys talked about their experience with the paparazzi, which I think we forget. We forget about mm. children. And mm. it's just kind of adult nature. And they got to talk about their stuff. And then they also got to talk about how her humanitarian work had such an influence on them. Mm. Like the very first time she took them to a hospice, etc. So, so it sounds like that documentary on HBO focuses more on uh, reflecting on uh, Diana through the eyes of her children yes. and their perspective of her and not, not, not so much of being about her at her death. They do talk about her death, which is beautiful because mm. I feel like it's this space of consent. Like they are giving consent to talk about what her death was like okay. for them. Okay. Whereas everything else that you watch about Diana, it's all paparazzi spun. And mm-hmm. even when they talk about, talk to people, interview people like her brother, mm-hmm. it, it's like they're just so buried in the whole paparazzi with um, the paparazzi agenda. When there's all these news reporters and these people who are invading her privacy there's always like this filter that you're going through. So it's nice to see it through the boys' filters. Mm. They even have Elton John because, you know, they were close friends. So right, right. That was very exciting. And then on Hulu, the story of Diana is quite different and quite in-depth. It has more of that outside perspective I was talking about. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, just obviously looking at her and her situation. And it's really interesting because at the beginning of her relationship with Charles, there was a a royal photographer and he would go and he'd ask for her and took a few portraits of her. So it was with permission. Mm -hmm. And then how at the end of her life, how that there was just, just absolute blatant regard for her privacy. Yeah. Disregard. So I really enjoyed looking at both of them because it helped me form a very interesting opinion. Wouldn't it be cool if we had, if we could kind of overthrow that paparazzi black market for Mm. um, photographs? Like what if each celebrity had a dedicated photographer or two that took personal photographs of the family or celebrity and you could only buy the photographs from that photographer and if Mm -hmm. anything else was purchased by a magazine, newspaper, media then that would be deemed as illegal. And if you had it written in some way where, you know, this photo here, this photo there, you can't do this photo in the bathroom, that kind of thing, maybe we would actually have some semblance of sanity. They mentioned how Diana would use the press to her advantage and in a way that would benefit her or benefit her charities. And I feel like, yes, that's kind of a way of giving permission, but it's also okay to say no. And that's something that they didn't understand. Even in the documentary, they talk about how, oh, well, I guess she kind of had it coming. But she didn't. She said no. And the paparazzi should have respected that. So it's a good example of how, you know, consent can be given in a piece, but it can also be stopped. Mm. And that should be respected. So do you feel like one documentary was... um better than the other or more do you recommend one over the other at all i think both are good okay and i think both should be checked out okay if possible in one day or like Mm. one week okay because it's very interesting to see these two different sides Mm. one is more thorough and one is more personal 
Did you ever see that film from a few years ago called Diana, starring Naomi Watts as Princess Diana? I began watching it, yeah. and I never finished it. Not because like I didn't want to finish it, but mm. I just didn't get around to finishing it. Yeah. And it, it kind of was like, not, it was like, unsatisfying. Yeah. So, but this was, both of them were fairly satisfying because it makes you think, and it yeah. makes you form an opinion. Yeah, it was a shame about that 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 other film because it it actually got torn apart by critics apparently, and it didn't do very well. What I would like to see mm-hmm. after watching these things is like you know how Inglorious Bastards does it's like a fantasy in some way. Everything comes down to Inglorious yes. Bastards to you, doesn't it? <laughs> Everything comes down to Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> Interesting. Like, I would love to see a fantasy of, like, if Princess Diana still lived, mm-hmm. like, what would her legacy have expanded to? Mm. That would be interesting. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. What else did you watch this week? I watched a lot of movies, and they actually feature in the list later. Oh, okay. So you can go ahead and share with us what you have partaken in this week. Well... I, as I should have mentioned at the top of the episode, we do have a lot to cover, and, and as such, my week in review has a lot to cover, so I'm going to try to be efficient with these uh, few things that I've seen. I'm going to start with Logan Lucky. I saw the latest uh, Steven Soderbergh film, which stars a pretty, pretty uh, sizable cast that includes Channing Tatum... Adam Driver, who was in Star Wars The Force Awakens, Kylie Keogh, Katie Holmes, and, uh, oh, Daniel Craig, of course, several others. This is, I think, three-quarters of a really good movie. It's, it's like, it's fun. It's fun Soderbergh, you know. If you look through his entire varied career, you'll see there's really arty Soderbergh, there's serious Soderbergh, and there's fun Soderbergh, you know. And I'd say this is on par with the the good Ocean's Eleven movies. And, you know, maybe even Aaron Brockovich, but not as good. Part of the reason why it suffers, I think, is in the last mm, act of the film, when Hilary Swank appears. I won't go into detail because, again, it is so far into the movie where she suddenly pops up as uh, an FBI investigator. But, man, there has been... And there has been much that's talked about her performance in particular. It is not good. It's like this Clint Eastwood impersonation via Hilary Swank. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's very distracting. It takes you out of the movie, and you almost wish the movie didn't even include this investigation or this character in the film. But the uh, the rest of the film before that is actually really good, really enjoyable. It's not great. It's not going to be in uh, the top five of Soderbergh's career, I think. I enjoyed it quite a bit, and I think it's definitely worth uh, checking out for sure. That's Logan Lucky. I also saw a certified copy on Netflix, I believe. Actually, I think I eventually rented it, but it's one of those movies that was on my Netflix my list forever, and the only way I actually got around to seeing it is if I actually got the disc from Netflix and rented it. 
So this is a film directed by Abbas Kiarostami, who is kind of a legendary director from, I believe, the Middle East. He passed away last year, actually, and a lot of uh, people familiar with, with Iranian cinema quite bummed by his passing. But this film stars Juliette Binoche and William Chamel. This is kind of a film that is in the same vein as the Before Trilogy. If you're a fan of walking and talking movies, this is definitely what Certified Copy is. Only this is uh, one with a lot of tension between the two characters that becomes more and more apparent as the film carries on. I won't talk in too much specifics because I think that there is something that's kind of revealed over gradually, uh, at least in the halfway point of the film. Uh, I thought while it wasn't a, it wasn't an immediate favorite of mine, it didn't connect with me like the before trilogy did or anything. It's definitely worth looking at uh, and checking out. It's probably the best thing I've seen Julia Pinoche do in some time. So that is Certified Copy, which I think you can find on Netflix streaming. Okay, so next, I have been catching up with Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which is the Fox TV series that premiered three or four years ago. And it's always been on my radar, I'm uh, just now catching up on, with it on Hulu. And I am loving this show. It is, uh, it, it's a cop show. If all the procedural shows that you watched were a sitcom... That's kind of what uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine w- would be. It's a single camera, ca- single camera comedy from the creators of Parks and Recreation and The Good Place. So this is a realistic depiction of a precinct. No, oh, I mean, it's kind of <laughs> like Cheers or kidding. Taxi. You know, it's like those, those uh, shows only for a cop uh, precinct. And it is really funny. It stars... Andre Braher and Andy Samberg, but Terry Crews, who is a guy that I previously only really knew from, I think primarily from like The Expendables, and he was one of those guys where I was like, what are you doing in this movie? This show, he is great in. I think he's the TV show's MVP. He plays the uh, unit's sergeant who reports to the captain, played by Andre Brar. Oh, I really like him. And he is just really, really funny. You know, he's big, he's muscly, you know? But he's also, like, really softy. He's, he's got two girls at home, <laughs> you know? And the show really plays a lot on his fatherhood. Yeah, and in, in a lot of ways, he's actually the only one in his unit that is actually, like, normal. <laughs> and, um, so... He's actually reacting a lot to what his unit is doing. His unit also includes Jolo Trillio, which uh, we've seen in several comedies like Role Models and, and such like that. He's a really funny guy. But also, I really wanted to give shout-outs to Stephanie Beatrice, who plays the tough cop archetype, you know? The kind that you would see holding a shotgun or being the one that would beat up all the guys, you know? In the, in the TV shows or movies. I feel like she's the the one that is trying to eliminate her femininity so that she can survive. 
And the masculine. Women's. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't. The show doesn't really like go in that direction, but that's kind of like what that archetype comes from, right? Yeah. You know. And then you have Melissa Fumero, who is also really hilarious as this A-type personality who's just, like, super insecure at the same time, and she's in constant competition with Andy Samberg's uh, character. She's really funny and, uh, and, and quite good. So I think those three are uh, the highlights of the series and really are some of the reasons why I keep watching the show. I like it a lot, and I'm really looking forward to blowing through the next three and a half seasons, I think. I'm not quite done with... Oh my god, is it four? I think it's on season four now, I'm not sure. No, there's four seasons on Hulu. It's going Mm -hmm. into its fifth season, if I'm not mistaken. I'm almost done with season one, but not quite yet. So that's Brooklyn Nine-Nine available on Hulu, which I highly recommend if you haven't caught up with that yet either. Margaret... This is Kenneth Lonergan's second film, and it's very interesting. This is after he did You Can Count On Me, which starred Mark Ruffalo and Laura Linney. Got a lot of attention from Mark Ruffalo early in his career. Margaret also stars Mark Ruffalo, but primarily is focused on Anna Paquin, who is a teenage girl who distracted a bus driver, played by Mark Ruffalo, which led to an accident and a woman's death. The That woman is played by Allison Janney. I think post-West Wing, if I'm not mistaken. This is not Lonergan's best movie. He's done, to my knowledge, You Can Count On Me, Margaret, and, what, last year's movie, Manchester by the Sea? And I really think his other two films are a lot stronger. The funny thing is, Margaret was shot in 2005, intended to come out in 2007, but was having a lot of issues with Lonergan getting the cut that he was happy with, the studio wanting a shorter cut, and there's legal issues and such, and it didn't get released until 2011. And I think it took me about as long to catch up with it as it took for the film to finally be released in theaters. It's a two-hour, 30-minute movie, I think? Two-and-a-half-hour movie? I feel like it's not very focused. It has its main story, and it goes in all these different directions. And I think also Anna Paquin, while giving one of her best performances, at times is a little too screechy for my taste. Playing a character who's dealing with guilt of the situation but also being a little bit immature in how she interacts with other people in her life, where she is very quick to get defensive or throw attitude at people. Kind of, I think it's supposed to be typical teenage stuff and how a typical teenager would react, but it's not always the most pleasant to watch on screen. Yeah, teenagers are very unpleasant to watch. Right. So... Yeah, I, I, I don't know that this is available to stream. I did have to rent this, uh, but it is one that I've been you know needing to catch up on. Some people feel it's one of the greatest films of that decade, of this decade, I suppose, since it released in 2011. I don't agree with that. I think it's all right, and if you're, if you're a fan of You Can Count On Me, if you're a fan of Manchester by the Sea, it's worth checking out as a curiosity. 
Uh, but that's Margaret. Lastly, I saw my first Bollywood movie. That's what I walked in on last night. That's what you walked in on. I tried to spare you. I, did you end up watching it today? Um, no, okay. I've been spring or autumn cleaning. <laughs> gotcha. So, Bollywood is a huge blind spot for me. I've never seen a straight-up Bollywood film before. And so, I've added a bunch of Bollywood movies to, to the Netflix DVD queue. And this is the first one I've, I've caught up with. It's called Guzarish. As, and if I'm mispronouncing that, I apologize. One observation I thought was very curious is their dialogue would go fluidly between English and Hindi. I expected it to be, being an Indian film, I expected it to be all Hindi language. But oddly enough, they would actually, like, in mid-sentence, switch either from English to Hindi or vice versa. Uh, which I thought was very interesting, and I'm, I'm curious if anybody can explain why that is, if that's a normal thing in Indian dialogue and conversation or what. Well, it was interesting because the one line I got to see, mm-hmm. it almost sounded South African in the way they spoke, mm. and it was said in English, but then the subtitles changed it to a more accurate English phrase. Yeah, sometimes the subtitles are not accurate, which actually makes me wonder, like, <laughs> how accurate is the translation of the other language when yeah. I'm watching a foreign film? Well, it makes me feel like they're insulting them. I, like, I take it very personally. <laughs> so, because, like, the way he was saying something, it totally made sense to me with my upbringing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, but, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. So, this film stars, oh, gosh, forgive me if I butcher this uh, pronunciation, uh, Hrithik Roshan. And Ashraya Rai uh, Bakchan. Ashraya Rai, I'm familiar with because she starred in uh, Bride and Prejudice by Garuna Chada. Yeah, everyone's familiar with her. But this guy, Hrithik Roshan, I was not familiar with. He plays a magician who was paralyzed in a freak accident. He became this sort of a, a hero because... He was, he was completely paralyzed, but he persevered, and he, he would do public, public talks and be inspirational. But one day, after like 12 to 14 years of, of, of living with his condition after his accident, he decides he would like to petition his government to be euthanized. And apparently euthanasia is like illegal in India, so this is kind of a big deal. The media makes a big deal. The story is is one part about that and one part about his relationship with his nurse, played by Ashraya Rai, who does not approve of his decision. And one part about his relationship with this guy who becomes an apprentice of his. And also the main character asking, he's a disc jockey, which I think is a brilliant job for uh, uh, quadriplegic. Yeah, it's, uh, and so he uses that show to also ask the public's opinion of his decision to petition for euthanasia. So it's, a, it's kind of about all these things around the same thing. And I actually thought it was really good. I liked the first half of the movie especially. I was really, I was really surprised and impressed by how engaged I became in, in the film. Uh, I feel like the 
last half of it starts to really stumble. It gets a little bit more hard to swallow, a little bit more melodramatic. And uh, starting with a courtroom that features a particular stunt. And I won't, like, go into detail. but And also a prosecutor that's really kind of, like, his arguments start to become absolutely ridiculous, and I don't think any sensible judge would actually take his arguments into consideration seriously. And so that's when the movie starts to stumble a little bit and uh, falter. But uh, it's, it's, it's a, a pretty good movie, and it was a really good first experience for Bollywood. It has songs. You hear about with Bollywood all the songs and the music. People aren't necessarily singing in the, in the movie like I'd heard happens. But there is, like, music that happens in the movie. Anyway, so that's uh, Guzarish. And if you can find it, I definitely recommend checking it out. That's my week in review. Now, Shanna, you and I saw a movie together, didn't we? Yes, we did. We actually got a chance to watch Pitch Perfect. Yeah, this may sound ridiculous given the movie's like six years old, but we finally caught up to Pitch Perfect. We've never seen any of the Pitch Perfect movies, right? It's kind of our blind spot. We were yeah. just waiting for it to become affordable. Like, we weren't like... It was a back burner movie. Yeah, that's yeah. a good description. You know, it was, it's clearly like a pop culture blind spot, uh, given how popular one of the songs in the movie was and everything, and there's now three movies. Well, actually, all those songs were pretty popular. No, 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 I'm talking about the one Oh, the Cups song. song. Yeah, everyone yeah. knows about that. Right, right. I've been talking for a bit. Why don't you talk a little bit about Pitch Perfect and your thoughts? Well, this was a great surprise. I honestly didn't know what to expect with this film. I knew that it was probably going to have great music because I think about the TV show Glee and how whenever they sang, it was really fun, but then all the drama would happen, and I'd be like, I'm so done with puberty <laughs> again. Why right. does everything happen during puberty mm. in these TV shows? So I wasn't ready to really jump into it, and then when it finally entered our lives, I was like, okay, cool, let's do it. Yeah. And I loved the Cups song. I used to sing it to my host kid because I was going to leave at the end of my time with him. So leave the country, you mean? Well, no, I was gonna marry you, and he was he was not into that. Oh. So <laughs> I would always sing, "I'm gonna miss you," not uh, not you're gonna miss me. So uh, it was always kind of fun. Interesting that way. Okay. I really loved the performances. I really love. So my favorite character was Fat Amy, and that was just so much fun. I love seeing her, and I love that she says. Representing Australia. <laughs> it's just hilarious. Rebel Wilson, that's who yes, that is. Rebel Wilson is awesome. I want to see her more. But I think it's also really cool that there's three of these movies. And we still need to watch number two. And number three comes out in November, I believe the same Something weekend like that, yeah. as Thor. You might be right. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I recommend it. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, I was actually surprised how much I really enjoyed this movie. It is one that I put on the back burner, and initially I, I believe I wasn't interested in it at all, but it's one of those films that kind of grew and grew and, like, you know, 
permeated pop culture everywhere. And so eventually you're like, well, it can't be that bad, you know? And I actually thoroughly enjoyed it. My one issue with the movie was Anna Camp, who plays the leader of the, of the singing group. And I really felt like she was basically the antagonist of the movie and she needed to be disposed of. But apparently, and surprisingly, the film's very inclusive of, of bitches. <laughs> you know, I really felt like, I mean, she was the one tearing everybody down. She was the one that was shutting everybody down. Oh, the blonde one. Yeah, and, yeah, okay. and played by Anna Camp, yeah. Mm-hmm. The leader of the group, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, had a, I thought the movie was going to go in the direction of get, you know, everybody uniting and being like, bitch, get out of here. And Anna's, uh, Anna Kendrick is going to be our new leader because it seemed to make sense. I think but. that you have a good point, but something that I don't think that you might think of is that in the female world, there are always bitches. And most of the time, the bitches are who run the show. And, right. And then what can happen is that, yes, they could get voted out or booted out. Right. But very occasionally... And what's probably the right thing to do is the bitch gets taken down a notch, realizes she was wrong, admits it, mm. and steps back and is forgiven by the group. I mean, so that's actually uh, a really... How often does that actually happen? I mean, someone of that that level of stubbornness, being willing to actually acknowledge that they're wrong. Well, when you fall on your ass like she did, mm. I think, yeah, you could pout and walk away, mm-hmm. but... I think it, there are moments where you are, well, shit, I'm on my ass now. I, I guess I really was in the wrong. Mm. And that has happened to me before in my own circumstances. I'm not as much of a bitch, but... No, you're much um, more reasonable. There are circumstances where I'm like, oh, well, I really did mess up. Mm. And I think that they just amplify it in the cinema world so mm. that it's it's actually, like, you notice it. She just felt a lot more like a Regina from Mean Girls than than anything else. And and uh, I think that's a no. What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Regina from Mean Girls is all about herself. Whereas this yeah. girl she isn't really all about herself. Yeah, she wants it her way. Yeah. But she does want all of them to win. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it's a little different. Yeah. So it, I'm gonna say a no. It still that. it still bothered me a little bit in the in the film that I found Otherwise, quite enjoyable. I actually, I haven't had time to research this, but I'm wondering how much of the cast actually sung their song with real voices. I know that that's the case with Anna Kendrick, and I'm really curious if that's the case with uh, most of the rest of the cast. Obviously, there is a plot development with Brittany Snow that there's no way in hell that that's her real voice about halfway or so through Which the movie. Which one is Brittany Snow? She's the one who tries to recruit Anna Kendrick in the first place. Oh, yeah. And I really like Brittany Snow in this movie. And I think it might be the only thing that she's done that... that, Is it because of the shower scene? No, come on. That's... (laughs) Of course not. No, I... Although that was was a pretty cool scene. I guess. I mean, in the sense that she was, like, really confident and, and, uh, you know, the whole thing between the two of them about, like, confident one is versus the other. Oh, yeah. She was, like... Oh, I'm very proud of all of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I just thought she was really funny, but also, like, she she had a really great singing performance, and 
I, I, I really liked her. She was one of the standouts uh, for me. And then it's a, it's, a, it's a good cast. I just, the Anna Camp thing is the only thing that really bugged me. And I'm eagerly looking forward to seeing Pitch Perfect 2. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Pitch Perfect, which I think is available to stream on um, on platforms. Isn't it HBO? It might be available on HBO. Mm. I don't know. Okay, so anyway, let's move on because we are already greatly behind and we have much well, I think to it discuss. was worth it. We have so many good things this week. Yes, yes, but this is a jam-packed Juicy episode. Things. So let's move on to our main event, which is a review. F-rated films! Oh, that was wrong again. <laughs> which is a review of Band-Aid. And that was from the trailer to Band-Aid. Band-Aid stars Adam Pally and Zoe Lister-Jones, who also wrote and directed Band-Aid. Was in Arranged. Yes, she's been in other things. She's been in a lot of other things in the past uh, several years. But she wrote, directed, and starred this film. Uh, The co-stars Adam Pally. They play a married couple who are at a point where they're always arguing over the smallest things, and they decide, um, eventually, to take their argument and turn them into music and form a band with Fred Armisen as their drummer, who is a, who plays a neighbor of theirs. A really great neighbor. <laughs> so what we'd like to do with our reviews of films is first talk about what we liked about a movie, what was good, and then talk about the bad, what we didn't like about a movie, you know, opening up the that to general discussion before moving on to spoilers and final thoughts. Shall I start with what I liked about it? Or would you like to start us off? I think you should start off with what you liked about it. Okay. Yeah. And that's always good because sometimes one person talking about what they liked can allow the other person to recall things and talk about and feed off of that. So for me, I really liked this film a lot. It actually became one of my favorite movies of the year. I think Zoe is really good, and I think she wrote a really great script, a very interesting uh, script that handles issues between couples in a really different way than what we traditionally see. I mean, traditionally, if we really want to talk about it, traditionally, issues with couples is, you know, someone did something that the other person doesn't know about and lied about the said thing or, you know, goes through a series of events that makes it some giant pratfall, so to speak. The person finds out, they fight, they fall out, and then eventually they get back together. And, you know, that's typically what you end up finding in, in, you know, your typical romantic comedy, right? And this film actually does not do any of that. It actually tries to really depict a couple who are at a place in their relationship where they need to heal. You know, they need to figure out a way to stop getting biting each other's head off and how to communicate again and how to be loving to, to each other again. 
And they do it in a really fun way. And I think the songs, I actually really like the songs in this movie. I think the lyrics are fun and clever and, and very playful, you know, while also at the same time communicating the different emotions and, and issues that they are having. I mean, I would totally listen to the soundtrack of this movie. And I think there's at least one of the songs that is actually really, really touching. So I really like that. I think Fred Armisen is one of these guys who recognizes that just him being involved in a project is enough to get a, a little bit more attention because there's a lot of Portlandia fans out there and a lot of people who are fans of his in general. But he never tries to steal the show. And I don't think he necessarily steals the show here. He plays, um, even though he plays a neighbor who it turns out is a, a sex addict. He does it so great. I love yeah, him. Yeah, he, I don't know, he has this way of um, just kind of representing his character's idiosyncrasies or, you know, oddities in a very matter-of-fact way, right? And so he's never, like, trying to steal the scene from anybody, though, at the same time. He's just, he's like the seasoning in the film, you know, and just adds a little bit more flavor to the film. So I, I really appreciate that. But really, this is Zo Zoe and Adam's show. And I think that they do a really good job in their performances of this. And they, they're believable in their musical performances in the film. And so, yeah, I just really, really love this film. Do you have anything to add? Yeah. You know, this movie was actually very painful for me to watch. Mm. And when something about a couple, a movie about a couple, is painful for me to watch, mm. it means they're hitting realistic notes mm. about relationships. Yeah. Because, it, like, reliving it is just so painful for me. Even if it's just, like, a little thing, like... A couple fighting over the dripping tap. Like, oh, oh my yeah, God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like such a button for me. We have a dripping tap right now and we don't know how to fix it. It's in the bathroom. It's oh. in the bathroom. <laughs> he We're just in the kitchen over right at now. The kitchen. I'm like, oh my God, he really doesn't remember that we have a dripping tap. This is so real. <laughs> so it's great. <laughs> you should write a song, love. <laughs> it would be totally censored. I'm, like, I hate heavy metal, but I think yeah. I'd partake in it to, to express myself. <laughs> that is myself. another thing. Like, the, the songs are different genres, too, in this movie. They're yeah. not all one genre. Yeah. Um, and, and they don't do heavy metal. So that was There cool. is one really, like, oh, kind really? of heavy and angry song. But I don't think it's, like, heavy metal. No, I mean, probably not. Okay, so I really... Other than the painfulness... <laughs> I really liked Zoe. I think she's a great actress, and mm. I want her to be acknowledged for that sometime mm. soon. So I'm holding thumbs for you, Zoe. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I love the scene with the mom explaining how. Oh yeah, we we can't we can't get into that until later. But yes, I'm totally on board with you on this. I forgot about this. Go ahead. Uh, in in general terms. I love how the mom explains how men and women work which is something that you only gain insight into after years unless you're trying to be as conscious as possible about what's going on in mm. your in your marriage which is difficult because you try to live together work together mm. um, sometimes it's hard to take a step back and be like oh he really doesn't get it he really 
can't help me right now mm. because I don't know how to ask for help or whatever. We can get into that later. I love the little moments where he is there for her mm. because it feels like he's not. But but then there's little moments where like they're in the bathroom together and he's like, how are you feeling? Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And she lets him in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, some most of the time she isn't letting him in. Right. And I guess everything else is spoiler. Okay, cool. We have stuff to talk about a little bit later. I also so, did like the music. I'd listen to the soundtrack too. Yeah, really? And then try to make my own. <laughs> <laughs> about the freaking leaking tap in the freaking bathroom. <laughs> yeah. What what didn't work for me in this movie? I assume we can move on to uh, what we didn't like about the movie? Sure. Okay. I'm not really sure. I think I have a hard time. Although it has been, I'll admit, like it has been a week and a half since we've seen the movie, so it's a little fuzzy in the issues, and I mistakenly didn't write too much down on this movie. But I'm not sure that I had too many issues. Why don't you actually talk about your issues? Maybe there's something that I forgot about that uh, you'll bring up. Well, I mean, I feel like I have. I didn't have any problems with, like, the cinematography. Mm-hmm. I didn't have any problems with the music, the sound, the acting. I thought everybody did a really good job with portraying their characters Okay. in a realistic way. Yeah. And... But you didn't like this movie as nearly as much as me. But only because it was painful for me. Oh. You know, like what I had mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, like with anything, I could only think about the pain, so I didn't actually even write anything. I have one sentence here, guys. And then as <laughs> soon as, you know, you start talking about what you love, then I start thinking about what I actually loved about it. See, there you go. See how it works? There so uh, I don't really have anything negative to say other than... You know, you might feel uncomfortable if you're like an empath and you can relate to all these little things. Sure, yeah, yeah. It, it'll make you feel. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is not a sugary, sweet, gloss over things movie. It's it, it actually has a mix of emotions and there's something that we can talk about in a little bit. That's, that's one of the, the main things that it leads up to. That's kind of like one of the, the source of a lot of their pain and issues. And but, I think that those kinds of movies are very important. You almost actually yeah. need a list of those movies, like like a, a top 12, mm. <laughs> that show the realistic depictions of relationships, because otherwise you think that it is all going to be sugary-coatery nonsense. Well, and you know, in a previous episode, I had talked about how like I really appreciate movies that actually have something to say about love and relationships. And... I think Band-Aid is definitely one of those kinds of movies. You know, Zoe's definitely exploring something. I don't know anything about her personal life. I don't know if she's actually been married or not. But she's definitely... I, I, w- I would guess that she has. And maybe she's even gone through divorce. I don't know. But because the evidence in her writing in this movie suggests... Like, there's a lot of observations here... You know, that, that can't come unless you've lived through something similar, you know? I love it because of that. Yeah, I, I think that this is a good film. I don't really have anything bad to say about it other than, you know, just have some tissues ready. Even right now, I'm like tearing up <laughs> thinking about it. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's a great film. So it is written and directed and stars... Come on, Fredo! 
So, yes, it is one of the few examples of what is called a triple F-rated movie because it falls under those three categories where the person who directed and wrote the film stars in the film. No, F-rated, it can be a really strong character, written by a really strong female character, written by a woman, and directed by a woman. It doesn't have to be the same person. You're right about that. Yes, I You're am. right. However, in this case, it does star the same person, which puts it in an even narrower category of, of, uh, of film and F-rated film. Maybe we could F call it special. The, but, F, the triple mm-hmm. F-rated special. <laughs> okay. I'm, I just it love sounds, saying F-rated. Somehow it sounds naughty. <laughs> but anyway, do you have any thoughts about it as an F-rated film? We'll talk a little bit more about the definitions and all that sort of stuff of F- F rating when we get Here's to our film phase. what but. I think makes it a wonderful triple F rated film. Mm-hmm. There's a huge amount of depth to this film. There's depth in the writing mm-hmm. for everyone to understand, the, all the participants in the film to understand it and do a good job in portraying the characters. There's a depth in the directing because of the direction that obviously the director is helping each character, each actor move in and experience because Mm. there are challenging things in this film. Mm. Obviously you need good direction from that. And Mm. I feel having a woman portraying this kind of movie with these themes is, it's, it's a completely different flavor Mm. to if a man were doing it. Mm. I think if a man were doing it, he'd kind of stumble because it is that whole, you know, men don't always know how to help a woman and women don't always know how to ask, but women will feel all of it, you know. And I feel like you feel everything and you, you, you see everybody else in this movie feeling something. Mm. Even the, the sex addict neighbor, mm. like you can see if you look closely, you can see his face is kind of like there's this pain hidden there. And I feel like that comes through with mm. F-rated films. And then, you know, she's such a great character, I think, with F-rated films with regard to the character mm. being strong in her own right, I feel like the most important thing is for the character to notice the situation that they're in. Mm. It doesn't matter how small or big of a crap heap it is. And seeing her decide to move away from that and step into a different power of her own is what makes a character really strong. So what I'm looking for with the female character is it has to be someone who overcomes their current situation, no matter how they got there. I think Anna depicts that F-rated concept with her character so well by showing how she starts in this cycle of sadness, depression, hurt, and how she can use something a tool such as music to pull herself out of that hole and step on the other side into a more healed self. Well, I think that's true for both characters. I don't think that's particular to Anna. But that aside, it does sound like you feel like uh, this movie could not have come from a man. What makes it uh, unique is that is the female perspective makes the movie what it is. Yes. Like, a man couldn't have created this movie the way it is. Yes. Okay. 
Yeah, and I, and I think that's one of the things that makes it interesting. I'm looking, though, on its IMDb page, and this thing has a 6.7 on IMDb with, mm. out of 1,400 user reviews. And that is, that is shameful. It's because people felt pain when they watched it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I, have, I haven't even looked at the user reviews, but I think that is a huge disappointment. It's actually one of the reasons why I don't go by IMDb because, you know, great movies like Under the Skin and this movie or whatever. Oh, God, Under the Skin. There'll be like there'll be a lot of people who you know don't really get the movie or it's not conventional and they're really conventional viewers or you know how you watched a movie recently and it really in our review of certain women it really put you off because it was so far against conventions that you you uh, were put off by it I think a lot of people like they don't really give a shit they just want to be entertained well, and they want conventions and comfort food putting me in the caveman cat no 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 obviously you're not because you actually appreciated this movie for what it was but I think like a lot of people on IMDB end up making really good films ranked really a lot lower than they should be well um, is its rating higher on Rotten Tomatoes well and, and again that's an aggregate of of critic reviews uh, so you're basically asking whether or not critics liked it more than the 6.7 root average on I feel IMDb. like IMDb, anyone, anyone can leave a review. Yes, absolutely. There's no, like, It's very democratic in that way. No, yeah, it's de- very democratic in that, in that sense. On Rotten Tomatoes, it has an 85% on the tomato meter. So I feel like that's a, a good point, is if you want, like, the general public's opinion, yeah. go to IMDb for the rating. Right. And if you want, like, professionals, people who know what to look for in a film, beyond being entertained, it's good to go off of the Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, and I should say, you know, Rotten Tomatoes also has a user audience score, and their audience score is 71% like the movie, and they gave it a 3.6 out of 5, which I think this is, hands down, a 4 out of 5 movie mm-hmm. easily. You know, So, I mean, my traditional rating for movies is um, a score out of 10. I would give this an 8 out of 10. What happened to the other two points? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're not talking like, you know... Sight and sound canon 100 movies here, you know? <laughs> okay, okay. Well, why don't we move on to the spoiler area? Okay, let's... Uh, it sounds like we have a couple things that we can talk about briefly in spoilers. So, you have a good handle on our general thoughts on Band-Aid. You can rent it now on Amazon if you have not seen it yet. If you have seen it, definitely write us in with your uh, thoughts and continue listening to the spoilers discussion but otherwise, skip ahead to film faves right now. Okay, everybody's been forewarned. Spoilers for Band-Aid. Here it comes. Do you want to go first? Did you have thoughts? Sure. Um, I just want to expand on the scene with the mom explaining to oh, yeah. um, that, her son. And that is one of my favorite monologues I've I've heard in a long time i feel like all these you know you'll see these youtube inspirational motivational uh little clips that are taken from 
you know, like reverends around the world or healers around <laughs> okay. the world, and they'll put it with like a movie clip, like Tree of Life. Okay. Like something like that. Very Where I'm going to is like they should have like relationship advice for newlyweds, and uh. that should be like featured in there with that monologue. What I really like about it is that the fact that he actually goes to her and he is actually listening to what his mother's saying. Mm. And he's listening to her experience. And I love seeing that here's a man who wants to become more conscious and become more conscious and not only admit that he needs help, but actually seeks advice from someone who knows what they're talking about, which often is our mother's. You yeah. know, if they raised us right, if they raised us to even ask questions, they're going to have the info for us. Right, right. It's just so great that the viewers get to see that. And it's a great way to show men in a different light. If you're used to seeing men in a particular light where they're arrogant and they don't ask for advice and they don't open up, men want to open up and men do want to seek advice. And sometimes we're not used to that depending on your conditioning. Uh, sometimes. I mean, this character is clearly set up to not be a certain type of, of, of person. And uh, he, if I remember correctly, the mom is originally set up to be kind of the, the, the fool in the movie where, where this advice that comes from her actually is, is quite surprising and really impressive to the audience. But isn't that what a mom is? Well, sometimes. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Usually it, she's this overbearing thing, and then all of a sudden she actually has great invi- uh, insight. insight. Yeah, I mean, and that that's the the thing, you know. Uh, a lot of a lot of old adult sons will go to their moms, and and sometimes they'll actually be able to impart something that really connects with the situation. I feel like your dad is good at that. Mm, maybe, but anyway, yeah. I so. So that's one of my favorite. I think that's one of the things that really sealed it for me for the in my my take on the movie. And you know, it's not just a shot of her talking. It's cut with different things going on. One well, also but, how she's how Anna is dealing with it. I like how they show her trying to deal with it where she's getting all dressed up and trying to feel good about herself. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And and then, you know, she throws herself around safely. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what it is, is she's getting out all this, these feelings, all this anger, all this resentment, all this rage. And it's not feelings that she has towards her husband. It's about the situation that we, we haven't talked to talked about yet, uh, which is they had a miscarriage. Mm. And it turns out this miscarriage is the source of... A lot of their needling, a lot of their bitterness and, and, and resentment. And pain. And, and pain, yeah. They're just acting out on each other constantly because they haven't been able to successfully grow and heal and, you know. From that. Yeah, uh, yes. And, you know, they've gone to therapy. There's a there's an early scene where they're in therapy. And if, and if you're really paying attention, you do hear the miscarriage being referenced. Yeah. Uh, in passing. the I think the music is another thing that really helps them. They get to a point where they actually prefer to be, like, angry at each other or not, like, really lovey to each other, you know? Because it produces better music. Yes. You know? Which is such a, a destructive artist path and so common with artists. So, 
Yeah, they're like, they're like, like, well, what would, how do you even write a love song? You know, like they, they just don't have it in them. So they, they do this fake fighting. Yeah, you know? but it's still okay because they're not hurting each other anymore. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought that moment where she's trying on the dress and he's sitting on the bed. That scene, I really like that scene, you know, because they clearly made a lot of progress in their relationship and they have to, like, actually recognize they've made this progress. And mm-hmm. like, wait a minute, so you're not going to be a jerk to me anymore? And he's like, well, I could start over and, you know, <laughs> you know, be completely oblivious if you want me to, you know, in terms of how she looks in the dress and such. But um, I think that's a good point, them noticing how far they've come. Yeah, yeah, which is which is good. I liked that they made the miscarriage the point of angst. Mm, it's, it's a real, real issue in couples. Some couples can't survive it. And some couples get through three mis- miscarriages. Mm. And I'm like, how the hell did you guys do that? You know. Right. And I want to ask questions, but obviously that's not my place. <laughs> right. I'm like, but Sit how did you guys notepad? do it? <laughs> and be like, so tell me. Because <laughs> this is like one of the worst... Anything, anything that happens with a child, whether it's already been born or didn't get that far or only lasted two or five years, it's something that can completely, like you say, like just obliterate a relationship Mm. to the point where, okay, they may get divorced or they'll stay in it because they do want to, they do want to find each other again because they get lost. And as a woman, I mean, I knew just by looking at her, I knew before the like therapy session, I knew that that's what it was. Oh, did you, Mrs. I did foresee this. I did foresee it, yes. Uh-huh, yes. <laughs> we should make okay. cards. Right. Like that. <laughs> but no, like as a woman, and I'm sure other women can relate to this, you can pick up on that particular pain. Mm. And I like that they, they used that. And I liked that scene in the bathroom where... She couldn't take it anymore at the party, being around all those kids. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's another scene that kind of references to... Yeah. Yeah. And I loved how he was there for her, and he was like, we can go if you want to go. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And one last thing, unless there's other things you want to talk about, but one last thing for me is um, Fred Armisen's character, um, it's, you know, he, he... I think upon first meeting, it's revealed that he's a sex addict. And he lives with... Like, women who he used to basically sponsor these women, and now he's living with them, and they're... But he seems healthy and okay with them. Yeah, I... It's it's one of the comedic moments in the movie, because the women are so forward and, and matter-of-fact sexually, and if I, if I remember correctly, and... It actually gets very uncomfortable and weird for the couple. They're like, yes. we got to go because <laughs> of excuses. You know? <laughs> it was awesome. I yeah. liked it. And what a fun surprise because they just thought their neighbor was weird. And yeah. then they learned that. Yeah. <laughs> it's oh, really fun. But even more significant, what, you know, that could have just been a very broad comedy touch in, in a movie and been very disjointed. But... What Zoe does in the writing is actually digs into why yes. he is a sex addict and how being involved with the in the band actually is destructive for him. And I thought that was an interesting little wrinkle. See, I feel like that that is the depth 
mm-hmm. that you get with female directors, writers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, is there anything else you want to add about the film? No, I, I think, you know, now that I've actually talked about my feelings about the film, <laughs> it's actually a great recommendation for people. Awesome, awesome. So, that's Band-Aid. You can rent it now on Amazon. Now it's time to move on into film phase. F-rated! Yes, let, let's go through the, the whole thing in case everybody's, uh, someone's new to the episode. Film phase is where we count down our 12 favorite movies of a particular topic. Not only does this allow you to get to know a little bit about our movie tastes, but also hopefully it highlights movies that are that you've never heard of before or have yet to see. To that end, we also try to direct you in where you can find these movies. Now, most movies are available to rent on Amazon, and there are a bajillion of diff- uh, different streaming services. So what we do is we focus just on Netflix streaming, Amazon Prime, HBO Now, and Hulu. And if there is a movie that is on our list that is available to stream on those uh, services, we direct you and let you know about that. Uh, Often, not many of our movies are on those services, which is kind of a shame. Um, You'd think after four or five services, but whatever. So, in this episode, since Band-Aid is a triple F-rated film... Let's talk a little bit about F-rated and count down our F-rated movies. Now, to start us off first, I'm going to read uh, the definition of F-rated from F-rated.org. That's F-rated.org. That's where this F-rated system... Originated? Originated from. (laughs) Yeah. The Bath Film Festival, and Mm. this is the website that actually hosts it. Yeah, yeah. Now, however, uh, F-rated came into a, a greater awareness, I think a year later, it wasn't very long later, when IMDb added F-rated as a keyword. And so if you type in F-rated on IMDb, you will get a list of movies or movies, TV shows, short films, whatever, that are that all qualify based on the following definition and that definition is all films which are directed by women and or written by women if the film also has significant women on screen it receives a triple f rating which is considered the gold standard so generally and we're going kind of how IMDb looks at it, too. If a movie is either directed by a woman, written by a woman, or has a strong female character, it qualifies as an F rating. There's other resources you can check out. Resource, coincidentally, Resource Mag Online has an article from March, which was, I think, around the time that the F rating keyword was created of 40 incredible F-rated movies on IMDb. You can check that out as a source. F-rated.org is not as extensive a resource as you might think, but it does highlight up to 50 movies, I think, that are that fall under their qualifications. I feel like F-rated.org has a higher standard. Maybe they just don't have as many people manning the station. Yeah. But everything that's listed on their website is undoubtedly a fantastic film. It's not just, like, willy-nilly put together. 
Yeah. Which I feel like IMDb sometimes is. Maybe, yeah. But I would say also, like, what FRated.org has is, like, prominently obscure films. Well, foreign films. And I think that's really right. important. It's a lot of inclusivity. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of indie films, a lot of foreign films. Uh, I would say mostly uh, there's very little mainstream America films or, or film or studio films, films that most of the general public would be aware of, yeah. which is unfortunate. I, w- I would like, you know, it would be nice if they were a little more exhaustive as a resource where I feel like there's movies that are definitely m- missing that probably qualify. I mean, hell, we went through a list of 400 movies directed by women alone. Well, and I felt like some of those movies were crap. <laughs> well, there's crap movies on fred.org too. I mean, oh, well, Bridget Jones, Bridget uh, Jones, baby. Hello. I just I, I others hate too. Bridget Jones, so <laughs> I feel like that's like me taking it personally. But I mean, something that I wish that fred.org would put up there is Wonder Woman because Patty Jenkins and Wonder Woman. Right, right. So, Patty Jenkins is the director, director. of Wonder Woman. And uh, she will be, I believe, the writer of Wonder Woman, too, as well as the director. <laughs> and that's how it's done. Right. So, Shanna, do you want to talk a little bit about what sort of uh, qualities you put into formulating your list and how you went about it? Sure. Of course I wanted to find a good balance between F-rated because of writers, F-rated because of directors, F-rated because of strong characters and then maybe a triple f rated here and there if i could mm-hmm. what i'm looking for is not like nancy myers <laughs> okay um, what, what does that mean i laugh because i know but explain for the generally audience generally the, f- the female character in nancy myers films is kind of pathetic and forlorn and yeah all women have those moments but i'm really looking for strength here because Give, I need that. Can you give a couple of examples of Nancy Meyer movies? That... Um, like What Women Want, although it's about a film where a man is trying to figure out what women want, all the women in that damn film are like really weak. And I'm like, no, no, we are not all like that. We have moments like that, mm. for sure. So yeah. does every other human, including the opposite sex. But it's like really weak. Mm. And I... No, I don't have time for that. I just don't. <laughs> I need all the strength I can get from others. So what I'm looking for within a strong female character description is someone who overcomes their current situation, no matter how big the crap heap is or how small. They figure out that they're in this situation and then they make a clear path into their own strength and execute or follows through with it in some way. So I'm usually looking for, okay, does it show her journey? Does it show the realization of when she can go her own way? Because that's huge for women. I think it's huge for humanity in general, but I feel like women put up a lot of blocks, speaking as a woman. And I'm also looking for like those brave moments where they kind of push forward uh, and have persistence. It's the character that's important to me. And usually... When an actress gets it, she carries it through. So I never really worry about the performance. As long as it's a strong character, we're, we're going to be good, um, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I also do want to say that I did try to 
push myself into watching different movies in oh, preparation yeah. for this. Okay. But I do feel a bit like a failure because I feel like I should have watched more. Oh. So I'm always going to be that harsh on myself. There yeah. was one movie that I really wanted to watch, which was... It's available on Amazon.co.uk. Oh, okay. But it's not available here, which is weird. And it's called Dare to be Wild, which is triple rated. And it looked amazing, but I was not able to locate it. And this film is written and directed by Vivienne de Courcy. Mm-hmm. And it's also autobiographical, I guess. Okay. Because it's about a particular woman's experience. Okay. And that's all I'm going to say because it was very upsetting that I couldn't get access to it. It looks like it's about Mary Reynolds, an Irishman, and her journey from outsider to winner of a gold medal at the Chelsea Flower Show. It just looked really beautiful and imaginative. It looked really well done. There's a reason it's on frated.org. Okay, so what was your number 12 movie? <laughs> what it actually was, was Picnic at Hanging Rock, which is featured on airfreighted.org, and it's available for rent. I got it from Amazon. And it begins on a Valentine's Day in 1900. It's taking place in a college full of beautiful girls. They're all wearing this white lace, and it just... But at the same time... It feels like these girls are trapped and not allowed to do anything. It's set in Australia, and it is a Criterion film. What I liked about this movie was it was this kind of mystery, but it also left you wanting to know more, wanting more details, wanting something to be filled in. Um, it's based off a book, and when, you, when I have a movie in front of me of something that was based in a book that's a mystery, I want some more stuff filled in. You know, I want to know what was actually happening. What's the director's take on what might have been happening? Hmm. But it's definitely a let your mind wander. And I was curious about it for some time. But also it was featured in Vogue, September Vogue. Uh, one of the fashion designers said that it was an inspirational film for him. Hmm. Interesting. That, that is definitely a blind spot for me as well. It's, you mentioned it's a uh, Criterion release, and that's actually why it's also available to stream on Filmstruck, which has the entire Criterion uh, collection, Yeah. for those of you who are subscribed to that. But I, I'm glad you caught up with it, because it's one that's a back burner for me that I've, I've heard a lot about. It comes up on a lot of top ten lists. Well, it's a very interesting depiction of that Victorian era mm. where women were, yeah, they got to go to school, but they had to, it was very strict. They had to learn very particular things and mm. didn't have a lot of creativity for them. Weren't allowed creative license mm. in a lot of their classes. So very interesting. Very cool. So for my list of F-rated films, I definitely had to narrow it down and create a criteria Mostly, not only setting aside movies I've mentioned a lot lately in film faves, but I decided to create, uh, try to feature different levels of F-rated films. Uh, the triple F-rated, where it's written and directed by a woman and has a strong female uh, character. Movies that are just written by women movies that are just directed by women, and movies that aren't either of those things, but do have uh, some of the strongest female characters uh, we've seen on film. So, as a result, I had to 
because of my criteria, I had to leave off such movies as Star Wars, The Force Awakens, Battle Royale, Under the Skin, Bad Moms, Wild, and uh, The Duke of Burgundy. Aren't you kind of cheating? Are all of which are... <laughs> no, I, no, I'm telling you what I left off. But all, all of which are worth worthwhile films, I was really disappointed I had to leave off. So my first film on my list is available on Netflix and Hulu... It is Two Days in New York. Oh, I love that film so much. Um, Yeah, we talked about the movie not too long ago. It is written and directed and stars Julie Delpy. So it is a triple F rated movie. It feels like it's a similar sort of boss woman, uh, kind of on the same level as as Zoe. She kind of did the same thing. She also starred and directed and wrote. Right, yeah. 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 I would love to see these two women talk together at a panel. Oh that my would, god, so powerful. That would be interesting. Yeah. So, Julie Delpy, has, I feel like she has this wit that is rarely enabled to be expressed. So, she decided to go it alone and make or make movies that allow her to show off her comedic sensibilities. And we've seen Two Days in Paris, which is uh, the first film of these and I really feel like Two Days in New York works a lot better. I feel like part of it is because the male character in the relationship is a lot more likable is you know the, the as much as I love Adam Goldberg as an actor, I really feel like his character bitched a lot and he really kind of he had so many insecurities he kind of created his own problems in Two Days in Paris. Whereas Chris yeah. Rock, he's just reacting to, you know, <laughs> these out-of-towners, basically, you know. But, you know, he's also reacting to his wife in a lot, very playfully a lot of the times. It's, it's kind of already set up in that way. And uh, it's, it's, it's a funny film. It's a great indie film. And I think it's definitely worthwhile if you like those relationship movies. Uh, again, similar That's a to, more light-hearted one. It You're is. You're not going to feel so much pain with that one. Yeah, it's not It's not a walk-and-talk movie, but I feel like if you it's if you like walk-and-talk or indie relationship movies, I, I, it's not far off. I think you'll like it, too. That's available on Netflix and Hulu. What, uh, what's your next one? My next one is number 11, and this is called The Whistleblower, and it's based on the real events of Kathy Bolkabak, and I hope I said that right, who is played by Rachel Weisz. Weisz, Rachel Weisz. Oh, I am so sorry. I'm just totally all over the place tonight. <laughs> it's all good. This is about an American cop who, through her own struggles, is taking an opportunity to participate in the UN, helping, uh, I believe it's a company under the UN, to help Bosnia come through post-war and post-ethnic cleansing Mm. that was happening. And I knew nothing about Bosnia. And then I watched this film. I watched Camera Person. I watched the Princess Diana stuff. And uh, Bosnia is now everywhere in my periphery. She is surrounded by men who are treating women as slaves and just badly in general. And she's trying to create a balance there. We come to realize that there's a human trafficking situation that's go- happening, and that's not really a spoiler. That's You can look up Kathy, and you'll find out that that's what she... She's a peacemaker. Yeah, isn't that the whole point of the movie? Yeah. it's It starts off a little slow, but then, you know, once things get moving, it moves rather quickly. The film really sits with who she is and who she's trying to be uh, trying to become. 
which is great for the F-rated requirements. Mm. This is scary stuff. This is, I don't think I'd ever have the guts to overthrow something like that. She's tenacious. She's scared. But she just keeps moving forward to try and bring justice to these girls who are being trafficked. Very cool. My number 11 is the movie we just reviewed, Band-Aid, which is also triple F-rated. I'm starting out with the triple F-rated movies. We should get points. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll just add up um, points. One point for each role a woman plays in the movie. I, I think I've talked plenty about the film since we just reviewed it, but uh, and since I clearly... It was one of my favorite movies of the year. It has to be one of my favorite F-rated movies, right? It's interesting that your bottom two are relationships. Coincidentally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's purely coincidental. I like your list. But I'm starting out the list with uh, triple F-rated movies, and that's my next one. Uh, so there you have it. Okay. My number 10 is The Edge of 17, and this is the film about a young girl coming of age. Puberty. Life is awesome. Right. She's trying to navigate all the complex emotions and hormones that come with this phase of life. She has suffered a loss, and, you know, that'll throw a wrench in what already is a, a really difficult thing to juggle with hormones and emotions at that time. She sees everything as something that is happening to her, though. So that's yeah, kind she's of the very situation. Yeah, that's the situation she's stuck in. But, of course, you know, this is a journey film, and she gets over it. Mm -hmm. And after watching 13 Reasons Why, mm -hmm. this was a nice sort of more of a balance. It's like you, you said it really beautifully. It is a great story about how it does get better. The story is really this, this girl who... Her perspective is totally negative, and she thinks her entire life is negative, and everything around her that happens is negative, and she can't really bear it. But if you push through, if you can carry on, it does get better. Well, and that being said, I do think it's important for parents to be present for all the crap that crappiness that they're feeling, mm. that their kids are feeling. Because mm. I feel like when you when you do get to that place you can be there for them, and you can better support them. I think 13 Reasons Why is a good example of if you're not there to support them, what can happen. Well, I mean, the mom in Edge of 17 isn't entirely present either. Yes, but this is a happier version of teenagehood. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Very cool. My number 10 is Clueless, <laughs> which is also triple F. That's awesome. It's written and directed by Amy Heckerling. And uh, stars Alicia Silverstone as the main character, who we've talked about this before also. She's playing Matchmaker. I think it was my favorite, one of my favorite movies directed by women. Alicia Silverstone, unfortunately, never really did anything that met or exceeded her role in Clueless or did anything nearly as, as clever or um, on par in quality. It's a hilarious movie. It's one of the best comedies of the 90s, and it is available to stream on Hulu. My number nine is To the Bone, and that is a Netflix movie. This is about a young woman who has been suffering from an eating disorder for a few years, and she is eventually given an ultimatum to fix herself, ordered by her family. 
she arrives at a home with several people going through the same thing. And what that does is give us a really good insight into what this world is like. I've always been curious about eating disorders, particularly anorexia mm. and bulimia. I don't, you know, I read about it and I hear about it, but I never have seen something that depicts it. And they do it in a really creative way. This is a great F-rated strong female character film because she hits hits rock bottom and that's where she has to decide if she's going to go forward and pull through or is she just going to stay on rock bottom. So journey-wise, this is a fantastic film. It's got Keanu Reeves in it as well, just a little thing, and he doesn't steal the show, so that's really great. And I think Lily Collins plays the main character in it. I don't, know, I don't know her very well. Yeah, she's been in a, a few things over the past few years, but uh, that's interesting. That's interesting. Um, my number nine is Wayne's World. So we're moving away from triple F rated <laughs> into just a step down where it's directed and written by a woman. In this case, it's Penelope Spears. It's, in my opinion, her best narrative film. I haven't seen her documentary series as i mentioned in a previous episode but swain's world is I, I i wrestled with whether or not to include this movie and ultimately when i'm talking about my favorite movies mm-hmm. that trip trip that, that are f-rated ultimately couldn't leave it off because i enjoy this movie so much it is so funny and it's so quotable yeah so even though it's about wayne and garth from saturday night live and happens to be one of the best Saturday Night Live movies. Something about uh, what Penelope did here was gold. So, I love it. My number eight is The Secret Garden, and I believe that is F-rated for its director as well as female characters. This is a film that I grew up watching a lot, over and over again, and the young girl in this film has a fantastic curiosity and intelligence to her and that is her characteristic that propels her forward in life and then we also have an older woman uh maggie smith who is the caretaker of the young boy in this home and she has it's a great contrast between these two characters because she has a really great tenacity to protect and care for her charge. Mm. So I, I think that number eight, is, The Secret Garden, is really great. My number eight is Bride and Prejudice. Yay! The musical by Gorinda Chada, who directed and co-wrote the film. Your list is so much better than mine. Oh, I don't I know like about that. I like your list. <laughs> Everybody follow Jeff's list. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think you have some interesting picks, but... This is a fun movie. It is not a. It's not one of the greatest movies. I don't think it's necessarily oh, Grinnachada's best movie. Although it is a, um, while a distant second, it is only second to Bend It Like Beckham. It's a super feel good movie. So if you're down in yeah, the dumps, rent that yeah, or buy it. The, buy it. It's totally worth it. It's got great music. It's gorgeous Indian culture, beautiful colors, beautiful Indian women in it. Of course, Ashraya Rai, who we spoke of before, stars in the film as, as the lead character in the traditional Pride and Prejudice story. Well, and it's also got a great commentary to it as well. 
Well, you know, it, it, the, the original story has a class commentary and in, in, in what uh, no, Brenna No, I mean, like, the extra in the commentary. Oh, you're literally talking about oh, the commentary for the movie. You're not talking <laughs> yes. about the, a commentary the movie makes. Oh, my God. Okay. There's that, too, but that's not what I was, like, all about. Okay. You're really funny. <laughs> that, I'm uh, sorry. Anyway, if you can find it, seek it out. Bride and Prejudice, my number eight. They should make a movie about how communication can sometimes totally fail you in a marriage. Okay, Band-aid. so... <laughs> number seven for me is 20th Century Woman. I've spoken about this film before. Why it hits my F-rated list is because of this spectrum of different aged women and what is shaping who they are and how that contributes to their strength. Each woman in this has either already overcome something, is about to, or is already strong. So Well, and how they shape a young man, too. Yeah, I mean, it's a really good example of how, if a woman is strong, how that benefits everybody around them. Mm. Yeah, that's a, that's a great feminist film, too. My number seven is Mean Girls, which was written by Tina Fey and is available to stream on... Netflix. You really do have a great list. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> Just love this movie. I think it's uh, it's it's really <laughs> it's really unfortunate that this was Lindsay Lohan's peak. Not that it's a bad movie or anything, but oh, it's there's a really good movie. when you watch the movie, you're like, man, you had so much promise, Lohan, so much promise. Really also. Rachel McAdams is just delicious as the chief mean girl, <laughs> Regina George. You got Amy Poehler in there as this total plastic mom. Oh, God, she's Trying great. to live vicariously through her daughter. And, and I've seen that a few times. And it's just super clever. It's got a great message to it. And I think it's not only one of the best teen movies, but one of the best comedies of the last decade. And you can find it on Netflix. My number six is Bad Moms because that gets featured everywhere for me. I love all the journeys that the moms go through. I love that they're there for each other. That's especially awesome for me is when the characters are there for each other. Yeah, awesome. That's a fun movie too. And it was one that I considered. But my next film is X-Men First Class. Oh now, we have moved on, starting with Mean Girls, from movies that are directed and written by women to uh, just written by women. This is the second film on my list that is just written by a woman. This is re- co-written by Jane Goldman. Jane who, Goldman, you're awesome. She is awesome. She's got a great partnership with Matthew Vaughn, because I think she has written or co-written every single movie he has done. Stardust, Kick-Ass, Kingsman. Uh, and also X-Men First Class. That's an awesome portfolio right there. Yeah, she's done other movies too. But anyway, I love this movie. I don't think necessarily the women in it are written that well. And maybe it's because January Jones, I, I'm, I'm counting discounting Emma Frost because January Jones plays Emma Frost. I will say, though, that... It's unfortunate because she has her own film about the representation of women in Hollywood. Who does? The one that is, like, the ice queen. And January Jones does? That's funny because she's so wooden and very unappealing. But I will say... Maybe that's a fact we should check. Who plays Moira McTaggart, Rose Byrne? 
Yes. Oh, I love her. Even though they basically recast that character as an FBI agent, when she's actually supposed to be like the world's foremost geneticist in the comics, she's uh, she's you know she'll dive right on in and do whatever it takes to try to get to the bottom of whatever she's investigating. I'm actually a little angry about that now. I never you, you saw it like that. You didn't realize that? Well, I mean, I know the character in yeah. the comic books, and I guess it, it just never hit me, and yeah. now it has, and now I don't know how to feel yeah. about my feelings. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, anyway, it's a, it's a fun movie. I've talked about it before. I'll, I'll, I'll move on. My number five is Wild, and I've mentioned this one before, but Cheryl Strayed is just amazing to me she's like my hero <laughs> i can her relate story. it's her story reese witherspoon oh you did such a great job mm. with that character yeah it's her story so i i really enjoy that film it's also i think a career best performance by reese witherspoon oh i think so too mm-hmm. I agree. yeah it's, it's a great film i really like it quite a bit however my number five is wonder woman <laughs> Which is directed by Patty Jenkins. Patty! It was not written by Patty, but she did a hell of a job directing this film, considering she hadn't directed a film in like 13, 14 years, let alone ever directing an action film or a big budget, you know, comic book movie or anything like that. You astound us all. Yeah. Keep making amazing movies. Please don't well, stop. She's going to do Wonder Woman 2 yes, next. Yes, but so. she mustn't stop. At any rate... <laughs> I just, I love this movie. I, I get excited just thinking about this movie. I see it everywhere and the promos and everything for it, especially since it's coming out on Blu-ray on Tuesday. It's uh, really funny because Jeff is not allowed to buy anything mm, before his birthday. And he said, but I can buy it for you. <laughs> so it's yeah. very interesting. No, I'm but pretty sure we're not waiting for this film to come down in price. When this episode comes out on iTunes is when this movie will be available. And, and uh, you should definitely jump on it if you're one of the five people who didn't already jump on seeing this movie. My number four is Silence of the Lambs, and that is for our character played by Jodie Foster. I cannot recall her name. Clarice Starling. Oh my gosh. Clarice. How could I forget? Clarice Starling. Okay, there we go. Even though she is just, you can tell she's quite terrified most of the time, she persists bravely Mm -hmm. and just swallows and just carries on. With her mission to stop the man who is hurting all these women. And I feel like that is something I want to see more of every day. Well, more importantly, you're forgetting one very important aspect is the the movie frames her as small and diminutive against all these all men. men. Yeah, especially and in that morgue scene. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I think that's... One of the great things about her is, you know, she's surrounded by men in her field and she's on this incredible case talking to one of the most uh, dangerous characters in that world. Mm -hmm. You know, she's the one that's able to connect with Hannibal and actually make progress in the case and, Mm -hmm. you know, in a man's world. I think that's, that's, what one of the things that makes her more significant. So mm. that's an awesome, awesome choice. I didn't even think about the Silence of the Lambs. So very cool. So I'm moving away from female creators and 
I have just the last of my list focuses on strong female characters. And the first one, I figure, had to be Mad Max Fury Road. Not just because of Furiosa, because, but this is a movie with many strong female characters. It's a oh, whole yeah. group of women who are trying to get away and break away from the bonds of man, right? Well, and then they come across women who have not been captured. Yeah, who have like kept their strength. Halfway through the movie. Yeah. Right. Yeah, you have those characters as well who. You know, they could have been flushed out a little bit more, but they exist, and the movie's, you know, it adds to the movie's strength. So this ended up surprisingly being one of the greatest films of, of the decade, which I did not expect. It was a mind-blowing film, and if you have been hiding under a rock or just have now become of, of age to be able to see this movie, you should. So, my number three is complicated, but awesome. Anything by Miyazaki is a great example of an F-rated film because of the character. He only writes strong female characters. Princess Mononoke, My Neighbor Totoro with the sisters, and Spirited Away. Sin is a perfect example for what I look for. She starts off really weak and mild and kind of clingy and needy. And she becomes this completely independent young lady um, who doesn't fully rely on her parents anymore. I think her actual name is Chihiro, but they rename her, um, you know, and you can check that out in the movie why that happens. And Ponyo is another great example of her tenacity for her freedom and making her own life choices at age like five. So, so which one is on your list? Uh, all of them. Cheater, cheater, <laughs> pumpkin eater. Spirited Away, I guess, is the best one. Yeah, and I was me. just looking up his movies to see if any of them were available to stream. I don't know if you already did this. I don't think any of them are, but they're totally worth buying. Yeah, I'm not able to find them, unfortunately, on any of our streaming platforms. So, But... You make some great points about Miyazaki films, and I can understand how difficult it is to narrow it down. My next movie is, for my third favorite F-rated movie, Moana, available on Netflix. Very good choice. I think, as much as I really enjoy Zootopia and all the movies that Disney has made in the past nine and, well, yeah, nine years. I think Moana is their best film in all this time. That's such a great character. Well, that's one major reason why Moana... I mean, she, like, her, her songs, which basically are, is her way of expressing and, and, and fleshing out her character in the movie, are so stirring and inspiring, And you know? it evolves, Sure, sure, sure. Mm-hmm. But she's, I don't know, she's probably one of the best role models in the Disney canon, I think. And I think since Belle. I yeah, felt- I would argue maybe even stronger and better than Belle, as much as I love I, Belle. I, mean, I think so, too. I listed Belle as my favorite Disney character in, in, a, yeah. in a recent list. But, yeah, and, and the songs are just 
better than the Frozen songs, if you ask me. Like, some of the best music that Disney has, has created. I think Frozen was a good... Let's create a re-entry point. And then when Moana came... I mean, if Moana came before Frozen, it still would be amazing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and maybe Frozen would lose a bit of its strength. But maybe. I think Moana has a lot of strength. Yeah. So, it's my third favorite F-rated film because of its title character. My number two F-rated film is Persepolis. And it is F-rated in the double zone. So writer <laughs> and director. Right. Mm-hmm. This is a fantastic film. I had so much fun with this film. I've been waiting to watch this for quite some time. But it's subtitles, so I have to concentrate. Can't multitask. Because it's an Iranian story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what a wonderful insight into the Iranian culture. Mm. My favorite line from this film is she is talking. She's very young. It shows her through her different phases of life. And in her about five-year-old stage, she is telling her grandmother or mother about what rules she wants to instill. And one of the things she wants to do is keep old women from suffering. Mm. And she said, you know, the I think it's her grandmother says, well, how will you keep old women from suffering? And she said, it will be forbidden. Mm-hmm. And that's just wonderful to see that, you know, that young age, very black and white of seeing the world, of mm-hmm. understanding what's right and wrong. And young kids, they know what's right and wrong if you mm-hmm. give them a chance to express it. And I feel like also that climate that they're in culturally also helped fuel that. When the military is closing in with those rebelling against the Shah, oh my gosh, it's beautifully horrifying mm-hmm. how they depict that. The um, animation you're talking yes. about. Yes. And this animation is beautiful. Even though it's in black and white, there's when something colorful is happening, you can still feel the color because of the movement, the shading, the texture, the patterns, and the differences between dark and light and thick and thin strokes makes everything come alive. Mm -hmm. It's not boring to look at at all. Another favorite line of mine was Star of My Life, just sharing love with a young child who would have been the daughter that they never had. I love the mom every time her daughter is trying to experience something or practice who she's trying to be. Her mother just, if she doesn't get it or if it's too much for her, she just sighs and shakes her head or rolls her eyes and then she walks away so that her daughter can continue trying to figure it out, which is very respectful of a parent and very wise. (laughs) Let them figure it out. So that is my number two. And to give some context, it's important to note this is directed by Marjan Satrapi, based on her autobiographical graphic novel of the same name about her time growing up in late 70s Iran. My second favorite F-rated movie is Kill Bill. Oh my god, that's awesome. Because obviously, not only because of the character The Bride, but like Mad Max Fury Road, and even more so, all the other women in the film you have i think half of the what are they what are they called this this deadly vipers or whatever it is i can't remember their team name half of them are women you got lucy lou you There's got only two men right yeah actually you're right well you got bill and you got his brother the cowboy dude yeah that's his brother i think that's it yeah i guess you're right so all these other women, Daryl Hannah, Lucy Liu, uh, Vivica A. Fox, and of course the bride played by Uma Thurman, 
are forces to be reckoned with, and unfortunately, the bride is even stronger force to reckon with, and reckon with they do. <laughs> this is an incredibly dynamic and varied film, if you, especially if you watch the what I refer to as the whole bloody affair, which is both volumes, which was originally conceived as one movie, but had to be released separately for studio release purposes, or, you know, uh, theater release purposes. I don't understand. Well, together, it's like a four and a half, five hour film. And what is wrong with that? Right? Well... Just give us a chance to pee and everything will be fine. Movie theaters don't like that. Okay. And studios don't like it because they make less money. Mm. Less people tend to go through two, four and a half, five hour (laughs) movies, you know? There's a reason why you don't see very many Lawrence of Arabia revivals. Oh, Gettysburg? <laughs> yeah, probably. That's, that's probably more I, I guess for it's a good, good idea to separate it. But, yeah, anyway. Great film. Great character. Second favorite. What's your absolute favorite F-rated movie? So far, at this stage of my life, because it could change. <laughs> I'm leaving it open-ended. My number one is Camera Person, and this is a film by Kristen Johnson, and it is pieces of stuff that she has filmed during the filming of other documentaries. And she has put it together in such a way that is quite an art piece. She states in the beginning of the film that, please look at this as a memoir of my life. If you were ever curious about what it feels like to get the shot that you've been looking for, you're going to feel that with this film. There's a scene where there's a sheep and uh, there's a farmer and his flock of sheep and there's a pink sky and she sets up her camera and you can hear her panting and you can hear her getting excited and that's really an awesome insight to have. That's exactly how it feels for me when I'm going to get a shot that I know is going to be fantastic. And again, she goes to Bosnia and she features a good experience that she had in Bosnia. And what was awesome about this was she was on a farm and there was about, there were two boys and one was about eight, one was about three. And the eight year old, it's farm life and he was chopping wood with the little one right next to him. And you can hear her gasping and being like, oh my God, oh my God, oh geez. Oh, geez, it's like absolutely terrifying. Like, is something bad going to happen? And you can feel the documentarian in her, like having this push-pull fight with herself, like because she can't actually interfere as a documentarian, which is very interesting. I love that this film isn't perfect. You can, you have jerky movements of the camera. You can hear her. Um, the camera's taking a while to balance light. And the, the camera's also adjusting itself. You can hear clicking. And that's okay because that's kind of a metaphor for life, isn't it? <laughs> There's a beautiful moment when she is completely and utterly upset and angry and wants to break, through, break things and is frustrated because her mother has just passed away. Mm. And, you know, someone says, just let it out. And she does. And then she's sitting there and she's just kind of sobbing quietly and all of a sudden this huge amount of snow comes off the roof and it sounds like an avalanche it sounds really bad and she looks at the camera and she's like she has this relief this laughter of relief and it's like okay everything's going to be okay 
So that's my number one. Well, and that's a, a great way to end your list because that's actually a triple F rated film too because it was also it has writing credits to Doris Baisley and Lisa Friedman as consulting writers. So very good. Good on you. And that's a, a really highly regarded documentary too from I think last year. My number one film is kind of the opposite end of the spectrum in a way, but when it came right down to it, it really is my favorite F-rated film. It is a film, however, that is written and directed by James Cameron, and that film is Aliens. I thought you were going to say Terminator, and I was going to get really upset that I didn't think of that. (laughs) No, Aliens, because especially if you watch the director's cut, Ellen Ripley becomes one of the greatest female characters in not just sci-fi movie history, but in, in film history, as she not only is this woman who survived basically horror of a monster movie experience, but, you know, she is coerced into going back into that experience times a hundred. Because why not? You see her actually uh, finding and protecting a little girl. And so there's a maternal aspect that comes out in this character, Ellen Ripley. And it's, it's, it's an awesome detail in addition, that James Cameron added to the character, giving her another dimension. And not only raising the stakes for our connection with the character and, and the situation, um, but also giving a little bit more reason for us to care about what's going on and what happens, what the outcome is. And of course, it also gave us one of the best quotes Get away from her, you bitch. Which is the perfect, uh, what is it? The perfect encapsulation of maternal instinct. Yeah. Right? That's actually really awesome. I should be on a shirt. So, and it probably is. Anyway, so Aliens is my favorite F-rated film. What is your favorite F-rated film? Maybe it's one of the ones that we listed. Maybe it's something we didn't even think about. Go ahead and email us at the Gibson Review at gmail.com, as well as your thoughts of about other movies that we talked about in this episode. That will about do it for us in this episode. Stay tuned to find out what we will be doing in our next episode. Shanna, where can people find more of your work? You can find me on all my social media channels on www.shannapaxton.com. My Instagram is Woman's Journey to Empowerment. It has a gold logo, so you'll know you're in the right place if you see that. Okay, very good. For me, you can find more of my lists, reviews, and other uh, episodes at thegibsonreview.com, as well as going to iTunes and finding all of our past episodes on there. You can also go to Facebook at The Gibson Review and find third-party links, mini-reviews, and other things on there. You can also go to Flick Charts at The Gibson 99. Find me there, connect with me, and see what sort of movie tastes we have in common. 
I think I have over 3,100 movies on there. I always change the number every time I bring it up because I can't remember exactly. I, I only have 310. <laughs> well, that's because you don't do it enough. Uh. Anyway, in our next episode, which you should see released in October 3rd, we will either be reviewing Kingsman the Golden Circle or Battle of the Sexes. So stay tuned for that, and we'll be counting down our favorite movies of 2007. So, until then... Keep loving the movies! This is Jeff and Shanna, (laughs) signing off. Bye-bye!